Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome Bill Leahy back to the podcast. Welcome, Bill. Hey, James. Thanks for having me. So, Bill, you've been on quite a few times, but for those that are not familiar with you, you're a principal instructor at Iridicio. You've been with Iridicio for four years, maybe? In April. Four years in April. All right. Um, So you got the seniority on me there. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you've been on multiple times to talk about leadership change. I'm sure we've talked about PMs or something uh, once upon a time. Prior to this, you know, you were involved in industry, you served as an officer in the U.S. Army. All those super brief, did I miss anything you want to chat about or mention? No, that's about it. Uh, yeah, I've been with Theodicio for four years, worked in uh, wood products for a few years before that and was in the Army and uh, did my time at West Point and now I'm at University uh, North Carolina doing an MBA and um, yeah, that's, that's really about it. Live with my family in new England and, uh, glad to be on the podcast with you today. And we forgot a big time hockey guy and a big time. Yeah. That's probably the most important thing. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Excellent. Now, what we wanted to talk about today was training and COVID. Yes. There are some still ongoing concerns around training during COVID. How do we train properly? Should we invest in training? What is the most effective way to train in these times? There's lots of different avenues from it. Um, And, you know, I've seen companies take two distinct approaches. One being, you know what, we're pausing all training. We're minimizing any outlay of costs. We'll put things on hold. And I've seen the opposite end where people are investing more into training and their people because they have some available downtime. Um, And they know that order to come out of this at the end, they need to have the skilled people to do these things. What are you seeing? Yeah, that's a... It's really been kind of an interesting slash exciting thing. It's It's been a portion of my COVID experience uh, navigating this. And, and I think it is just what you said is uh, there's two tales to it. There's one, people who have had a really good experience with it and they've invested in the training and the others that either have been reluctant to do it or they've invested in the training and it hasn't, hasn't panned out for them. Um, but for me after spending the last year really um, developing training, transferring curriculum from in-person to online and a blended learning approach, uh, I absolutely think that the benefits outweigh the, the cons on this one. Um, one in particular that I found has been really fascinating is that the amount of people that we've gotten to bring together. Uh, so I've, I work with some large international companies, um, that have multiple sites across the United States and hosting these classes on online. And we've done an asset management 101 three-day course in particular is the one I've done the most of, but they'll get people from uh, different sites, 
So there could be a Georgia side, a Texas side, a California side, all in one business unit. And then an adjacent unit will send people from their Arkansas plant and their Michigan plant. And they all come together at once to talk about asset management. So you've got this cross section of not just um, the business, but also the different business units. And they're all working together on the same thing. So they're creating this just beautiful reliability language and understanding of the same principles that it's, it's really, it's really kind of fun to watch and see the relationships between them grow. Yeah. I've, I've had something of a similar experience. You know, there's two clients that I'm thinking of right now. And one of them, we've only had exposure to their one site. We've only ever worked with their one site out in Oregon. And what they decided to do is as a result of some of the, the COVID stuff, we couldn't come on site to deliver the training in person anymore. So they, we, they virtualized it. So it's a virtual three-day RCA class, learning about all the RCA tools and how do you apply it. They pulled in people from all their different sites as well. They have some from Alabama. They have some that are coming in from, uh, I think, Illinois, plus their Oregon facilities and a couple other facilities in Oregon that we weren't working with, all to this class. So not only are they sharing or learning about RCA, they're realizing they all have a lot of the similar problems. They're seeing different perspectives on how to solve some of these problems. They're creating that awareness through the social interactions that wouldn't have happened without some, without virtualizing this class. Yeah, it's a, that's great. Great point. I I think I'm experiencing the same things. Um, And another measure that I have beyond that is just that, you know, we're getting these people together, but I think the impact of the training has also been greater, Uh, not only because it's a more collective, comprehensive environment, but also just the, outcomes I've seen, uh, the amount of correspondence I'm getting after the classes now that they are being held remotely, uh, it seems to have gone up. And I don't, I don't know if it's the dynamic between uh, how we're communicating because it already is through those different channels outside of just immediate interaction. Uh, but the emails and the phone calls and those sorts of things have actually increased because of it. And I yeah. think the retention uh, I'm noticing is also higher with the online because uh, we're we're offering different things as opposed just the online when you when you have a class done inside you have printouts and all those things and one of the things I always look at after the class to kind of gauge um, you know personal performance and uh, effectiveness of the class is uh, how much stuff is left behind so of the printouts and things what's left on the table when we leave um, and what I'm seeing is we we offer a package with any of the training so there's there's white papers and templates and stuff we make accessible to them throughout the course and then afterwards and people going back and accessing those has also increased which I've I've found fascinating but I think the key there is how we're structuring the online classes and I think that is one of the things that people are worried about from a COVID perspective and some of the training opportunities excuse me the challenge is they're concerned that someone's going to come up on a zoom call and lecture for eight hours on a zoom call yeah and I'm sure that's happening out there and it's reinforcing this negative stereotype. But if you structure it correctly, that's not what happens. So that virtual RCA class, that company has now said, we just want the virtual version from now on. We're not coming. We don't need you back on site anymore to do this. We want virtual versions only because they see it's impactful. They have other act- avenues to learn because as you mentioned, the blended learning a- aspect of it, there might be e-learning or videos that they're, they can watch before or after yeah. class. They have the instructor-led piece. When we're doing the instructor-led piece, it's not like we're lecturing for eight hours. 
We're utilizing breakout rooms and group activities and small group activities and all these remote things. So people can still apply the concepts to real life, real life problems. And by doing that, they're getting a much more rounded lesson, if you will, because it's hitting all the different types of learning styles. But unfortunately, not everyone's doing that. And that is part of the problem that can prevents people from wanting to invest in this time. Yeah, it takes, it does. It takes a special, I, I, and I'm, I feel as an instructor, and I'm assuming that you do the same, is that I've been stretched uh, more during this time and developed more skills and become a better instructor because of it. Because uh, it is, it's, it's, it's more taxing to be on a Zoom call and keeping people engaged for two hours, I feel, than it is for six hours in the classroom. And the interesting thing about that, I love what you said about how uh, people are now requesting the online version and saying, we don't even need you on site anymore. And, and they're, they're not, it's not just this reliability engineering um, curriculum, but talking with instructors and professors at the University of North Carolina, uh, where I'm attending right now, but this is an ongoing discussion amongst those people that this is academia is their life. And they're saying, okay, well, now they're questioning what is the need for in-person classes? Because a lot of the MBA things have switched online. So it's, it's kind of an, we're on like this, um, it's really like a turning point in how we think about education and the ways in which we can deliver it and the channels we can get information out to people. So, yeah. But, it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. But I think when, we're, when a company is evaluating potential classes or courses that are virtual, there's a couple of considerations. Reason I bring this up is I'm taking some classes as well, but they're through like EDX or Coursera or whatever, where you don't get, not all of them, you get feedback from the instructor. Uh, that yeah. I think is a major challenge. If it is a series of videos with no feedback from instructors, no comprehension checks, aside from some quizzes, I don't think that's nearly as effective in being able to write, Bill, hey, here's the problem I'm having. This is how I think I'm going to apply the solution. Is this right? Or take a look at this. Did I do it right? Or where did I mess up? I think having that aspect and still having access to an instructor is critical to making it work. Yeah, the, the human engagement piece is, is, is essential. I, I can't find uh, that doing the, again, doing the online training myself, we have a large portion of asynchronous material that you do on your own. That is just videos and vignettes and, and readings and those kinds of things. And what I get from that, and this, this may just be me, but from about eight hours, I have to put into that each week for each class. And then we spend an hour and a half on a Zoom call like this, looking at each other and talking through things. And my comprehension or what I retain from the information from that eight hours to that hour and a half is uh, I, could, I could scrap the, the asynchronous stuff just about. And maybe that's how I learn or the impact of the instructor. But I find, yeah, the, the interaction on Zoom. And this stuff wasn't available to us, I, I don't even know how, a few years ago. Like Zoom became a, it's a household term now and, and the internet speeds and all that stuff. But uh, I can't imagine what an online curriculum would, would have looked like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it would have been completely different. So it's really, it's kind of a, a mixing of the, the right time, um, just this unique, these unique conditions that we're operating under and um, the, a huge forcing function that has made us do this, but this is, it's revolutionary really and how it's changing the way we deliver content. Yep. Now, back to, you know, keeping all that in mind, back to the question of should we, should companies be investing in training during this time? Mm -hmm. 
Should they? Yeah, I, I would say uh, 100%. Um, training is one of those things. The most difficult thing about training in person or the most frustrating thing as an instructor, and I would think as someone who's investing in training, is the distractions that you have during the training period right? You have people, there's, there's things pulling you in a million different directions. Uh, you've got people showing up in the classroom. You've got people not showing up. Uh, it's, it's a distracting environment and it doesn't, it doesn't always, you don't get the return on investment that you necessarily want. When these people are at home, the distractions are much less. Like they still have their email and they're going to be doing those things throughout through the time in the class. Um, but you can see it. It's reflected. There's a, there's a level of accountability there, but I, like I said, the retention has gone up. Uh, the efficiency of the training has increased. And uh, instead of them sitting at home, wishing they were at work doing things, we have them at home learning new skills and tools that they can apply when they go back. It's, it's yeah. been great. Yeah, absolutely. I think organizations during this time, as they have to struggle with labor issues, machinery or regulatory issues, those types of things, if we invest now coming out of COVID, they'll be in a much better position. Right. So we have one of our clients is really struggling with labor. And when I mean labor, it's whether it's operations or maintenance because of COVID, because of call offs, all these things, they're learning how to be very, very efficient through with work management, with these other things. And they're learning all that through these training activities that we're doing. When they come out of this, they are going to be very, very well positioned to excel because now they're not going to have these, all these other constraints or these call offs. They've already learned how to manage that in the workflow processes coming out of this. They're, they're going to be good to go. But yeah, they're investing think, now when it's difficult. Yeah. And, and I think there's also, there's like a, it, it just, they have an opportunity to let it marinate a little bit more. I, I really think that because when they're not leaving training and they're going right back into that hectic environment, they're, they're receiving training and they're processing training. They're talking about training with different people uh, at their site and beyond. And like I said, I think the retention has gone up. I, I, I deliver a quiz at the end of each of the classes and it's a check for understanding. It's like, a, it's, it serves as a class review for me and also a retention check and so on. So it's a, it's a personal KPI I have. And I've noticed that um, the test hasn't changed. The questions I asked hasn't changed. The things that have is the delivery. Um, the length of the class has actually been reduced, but retention has gone up it's that's it's just a fascinating thing that well it, I probably need to spend more time looking into and why it, why it's happening that way but without a doubt i can say that retention is higher with this remote learning or how we're delivering training now than it was earlier well i think one of the things that this forces instructors to do is cut some of the fluff and focus on what are the key learning objectives and the application of those so i agree the class generally has come down in length i'm not making anyone sit on zoom for eight hours yep right it's usually at most four hours but then for those other four hours what am i having them do go do homework take what you've learned and actually apply it in a practice situation in your facility so not only are they hearing it and seeing it now they're practicing it so when they come back the next day they're coming back with some really good questions yeah. hey i tried this i'm seeing this where where's the problem here and the questions are much higher quality because of that, because they're actually trying to apply it that same day and learn it and put it to use in their facility. Can I ask you, can I ask you a question? Yeah, far away. So what was, what are some of the, the topics that you see that people are really kind of grasping or, or something that was in the previous environment that they weren't quite understanding that now they're getting and applying quicker? This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. 
be sure to check out Irodicio's IBL Blended Learning for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. The one I see a lot from an RCA class perspective is the five levels of RCA or five levels of, uh, yeah, five levels of RCA. So we got our, our effect, physical, human, systemic, and latent separating what those out and understanding truly what a systemic or latent level is, because they're going to solve problems after we do a fall tree activity or learn about fall trees in day of the class, they go out, start solving problems and they're realizing, Hey, this is a physical or human problem. We didn't get down to systemic and they come in the next day and they're like, now I know why my RCA is effective and why we're still dealing with problems because I'm up here picking on these ones and not down here deep enough because we're forcing them to apply it in their own facilities so they can internalize it. Yeah, I think that's, that's great. I, I, I actually, that, that is one of the things that uh, jumped into my mind when I asked you that question, because uh, that's one of the things we teach in the Asset Management 101 course. And that is, that's, that was always a blank stare topic in the classroom. For some reason or another, that was one that was really hard for people to grasp or really hard for me to communicate. Um, but now you can see the lights going on. And I don't know if it's, uh, we've, we've been forced to be more creative in our delivery, more efficient, uh, or what it is, but I I know that my slide game has been upped quite a bit. Um, we've redone essentially all the curriculum, um, our approach to delivering it, uh, just the refinement of our own processes. It's, it's really a much better product than what it was before. And I am actually, I will tell you that I am curious about getting back into the classroom and seeing how now the transition from what the transition will look like and the result will be from we go from this online environment back out into the classroom. I'm really excited to see what that's going to look like. Yeah, I, I th- what, yeah go ahead. Sorry. I think that's going to be a bit of a mix, mixed bag. Yeah. Why is I, that? So I think going back to traditional in the class, people are still going to expect a six or eight hour class. Yeah. Right they're going to expect that they're not going to be expecting to do homework or doing pre-reads. So I think there's just like we had some challenges to overcome when we did the virtual thing. I think if we want to take these learnings and go back to the traditional classroom, it's going to be hurdles to overcome and implement there as well. I don't think it's going to transition seamlessly. I, I wouldn't think so either. Yeah. One of the things I'm, I'm most concerned about is the, is the length of training and people's attention spans Uh and then also the disconnection between them and the computer that has become like their, their main, in some instances, sole communication tool. And you can see that even, even, you know, pre COVID, you would have people sitting in there in their, you would ask them politely at the beginning of class, you'd say, please keep your computer shut and your phone away. And if, and if you need to use it, please step outside. But it was almost like um, a drug and you could see them itching to pick that thing up. So I think that will be one of the, that will be one of the biggest challenges is navigating that cautiously. Cause that is, that, that's their lifeline. And, and really for me, I know that I know that's an issue when I'm sitting in a class or, or even meetings. Um, and I have a hundred windows open cause I got a hundred things going on at any time. It is a, it's a huge distraction. And I think the only thing that would be more distracting than having those windows available to me 
is having those windows not available to me even worse. <laughs> so that's, that's the transition to the classroom that I think will be tough. Yep. Now, if we're uh, someone out there who's looking to pick training based on what we've learned is effective, what should they be looking for if they're evaluating or trying to find training for their staff? What are the things they should be looking for? So I think this is a, this is a great opportunity to get people on a large scale. The volume of people you can get through classes right now is huge. You're, we're not confined by classroom size. We're not confined by uh, area. We're not confined by um, time zones in a lot of ways. Uh, so we can educate a large volume of people, folks that we wouldn't typically get into a classroom, you know, folks that are sitting at home, uh, operators and technicians that wouldn't be considered for asset management training are now being made available to us. Yep. So if I were, if I were leading a training initiative or just a manufacturing team, I would want to get as many people through the basics as I possibly could. And that is what we've seen with this asset management 101 uh, course or so, something similar to it, an excellence in asset management, um, RCM, whatever you would like. You can get a lot of people through in a short amount of time and start creating this common universal reliability language across the board. So if you, when you, you have, uh, if you're changing the way people look at their assets and manufacturing, what asset management is, if you get them all looking through the same lens, uh, that is a, that's a huge win. Yep. So when you do come back and you're like, Hey, we want to, we want to do PM evaluation, or we want to do uh, a root cause analysis, or we want operators to start contributing. We want to do operator care. Uh, you're not going to have to explain to them what it is. They're going to understand what it is, what the words are, how their contribution fits into the larger picture. And it's, it's going, it's, you could set yourself up for something really great. Yep. Yeah. And I think if we're going to do that, they need to make sure they pick the right training provider. Or if they're doing it internally, they got to make sure they got the right instructors or people trained to be the right instructors. Um, oh, yeah. You could go the other way with it, too, right? You could absolutely blow everything up. Like, it's, yeah. 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 Hey, if, if you have a terrible experience when someone's talking to you about asset management, then asset management is the last thing you're going to want to talk about. So. Yep. It is. It's a, it's a unique opportunity, but it is one that you can exploit for better or good. Yeah. And if you're looking to get a training provider, I would say, make sure you ask some questions, right? Find yeah. out how they deliver. Do they have asynchronous and synchronous learning? Do they have e-learning or other things like that? So we can, there's a blended approach. There's all these things that is recognized in adult education. Are they following those things? Are they staying up on those things? Yeah. How do they structure their classes? Is it an eight hour Zoom call or is it four hours with some practical application afterwards or some pre and post learning? How is it structured? I think understanding that is going to be very, very important for companies and clients to pick the right provider for these things. Yeah. And yeah. We, I would if, say audit, ask if you can audit a class. That would be, that would be my thing. All right. Show me, show me how you do it. Ask one of your current clients. Can I come in and sit, see if they would mind? That, that would be a, a direction yeah. I would go with it. So what classes have you been teaching you personally online or in yeah. person? Cause I'm still doing both right now. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's go online. Cause that's the topic of the day. All right. So online, I've done quite a few RCA classes still. Okay. I've done some work management classes, you know, your basic plan scheduling type stuff. Um, I've done, those are the main ones that I've done online. I've done a couple of miscellaneous like intro to asset management type ones, like you mentioned. Um, and I'm building an online MRO class right now. 
Oh, great. Yeah, I'm excited to see that one. It's so from all those, which one do you think is the most effective or what, what would, how would you rank those if you were going to be recommending someone? The RCA, the online RCA, um, that's been used across multiple clients. They keep requesting it. Um, and they've had both in-person and online and they want the online version. That's, so, a, that's a great. That's fascinating. You see, and that was the one that was the one I was um, steering away from. Cause I thought RCA had to be in person, but I maybe need to, we need to talk some more cause I need to reframe how I'm, how I'm thinking about that one. Yeah. There's a, you know, part of it too, part of, and this is part of the interesting thing is some of these clients are being forced to do some of these activities virtually as well. So developing asset hierarchy, doing RCAs, doing FMEAs, they're being forced to do it virtually because they have limitations on how many people can be a room or they can't travel to their sister's site and stuff like that. So I'm learning a ton from some of our clients and some of the online collaboration tools they're using. And we're incorporating that into the training. So that way we can show them not just how to do this in person, but how to do this virtually as well. And I think that's part of the, uh, the draw to it is because they can see how to apply it in all the different ways that they're being forced to do it as well. It's not like you can only do this in person. No, here's how you do this stuff virtually. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, I've been facilitating different things, failure mode effects analysis, and um, we've we've done just about everything uh, remotely, and we're getting better and better and better at it every day. Uh, we've just we've been doing our IBL kickoffs remotely to great success. I know you've participated in a few of those, yep. um, and, and the feedback from those has been great. The results actually out on on the floor with these people has been has been wonderful uh you lose some of the the wonderful things or differentiators between us like um you know we have that beautiful training facility in charleston that we use uh so that hasn't been available to them but aside from that uh i don't really think the students are missing all that much when it comes down to it i don't think so we're doing a good job of breaking it down separating it out like we talked about pairing through some of this stuff, being very specific, having those activities, um, you know, the goodie box you get when we're kicking off a class yeah. with all, with all the stuff, you know, that all helps contribute to that learning environment. So, so where do you think it goes from here? What do you think is next for asset management training? So I've got, a, I've got a few thoughts about what it, what it could be in the end. I, I think, the, the online format will continue, but what I see will be an extension of it and uh, start heading in towards almost the uh, being more similar to a traditional online environment or with the, with the longer courses where guys like us will make ourselves available uh, for a longer duration for a specific client on a specific topic. We almost have like virtual study halls is something I'm imagining there where people can come in and we solve problems together. They lean on us for our expertise. They bring their stuff and we do it in an efficient manner. Anywhere in the world, people can come and join us and uh, we can help them through that. So yeah, I th- yeah. I think, I think there's going to be a combination. I think some ILT stuff, instructor-led training, in-person stuff is going to continue. Um, we still have clients that want instructor-led. They do not want online. Um, so I think some of that is going to continue but I think we're going to see more and more demand for online um, reduce, tra- reduce travel time, reduce travel cost. Um, you know, what we're seeing in terms of comprehension, 
that's going to continue, right? They're going to want to have the higher level comprehension, those sorts of things. So I think online is not going away even after everyone's vaccinated and all that other stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going away. I think what it's going to do, it's going to continue to evolve. Kind of like you said, it's going to be that blended approach where you're going to have some stuff you're doing on your own, some stuff we're doing as an instructor led piece, then the, the study hall or office hours or whatever you want to call it, having that time available. So people can, can come in with their problems or what they're struggling with or working through. And we're having those real time conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's what I'm, I'm thinking. It'll, it'll be, it'll be a greater mix of educational piece and the application piece. And I think just the, the technologies that we have give us an ability to deliver on both simultaneously. I don't think they have to be separated anymore. Yeah. So, um, but this, this live interaction that we're like we're having right now will be essential to it. It's, it's a really exciting time. I, you know, if you ask me your magic wand question right now, I would tell, I would wave my magic wand and tell people just don't be afraid of it. Um, look into it. If it's something that you're not considering or your company hasn't engaged in yet, uh, take the opportunity. Um, I mean, you can reach out to either one of us or just anyone that's in this industry and say, you know, what have you done? What has worked out? Um, is there an, is there a chance that I could see what the training looks like or ask more questions? Just don't be afraid of it. Uh, and it is, uh, James, you highlighted a bunch of them, but I think there are some great opportunities that people could really, as you said, position their organization to take off whenever this clears up or as we continue through this and we, uh, mature and figure out ways to navigate this, you know, the, the crazy world that we're in, but we could, you can really have a huge impact, um, and with training right now. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I think the key is ask questions, get familiar with the providers, what the content is, how they're delivering, and then make an informed decision. Um, just because someone was good doing it in person doesn't mean they're going to be good doing it live or virtually. Um, yeah. There's a steep learning curve and a major adjustment that takes place there. So make sure you evaluate all those different aspects. So I'll ask you one, I'll ask you one more question. Uh, so what do you think makes an effective online or what are the characteristics or attributes of an instructor that would make them effective as an online provider? They got to be good. They got to be good with technology. That's huge. You can't have someone that's still trying to figure out zoom after their 10th call. Um, (laughs) the other thing is you got to be open to different ways of teaching. So I was actually talking to a client the other day, earlier this week, actually, and they're telling me of their experience with that they had with an online class. The instructor had IT issues. The mm. instructor wouldn't share slides, even though there was IT issues. Their polls weren't working. Or when their quizzes were set up, they had the wrong answers in them. All these issues were set up from a technology standpoint. And they're still trying to deliver this five-day class as they would have in person. So in front of a Zoom camera, lecturing for five days straight for eight hours each day. Plus on top of it, all these technology issues. So one, you got to be good with technology. Yep. Um, you got, they got to have backup plans for technology. So if Zoom's not working, you got something else, you know, example that I have, I made sure to put in a UPS. So my router and my modem power goes out. I still got that up so we can finish right. off what we're doing because stuff like that happens. And that creates a very bad taste in the student's mouth. But aside from being savvy with technology, they have to be able to think about how to deliver things differently. Same mm-hmm. learning objectives, but how it's delivered is likely going to change. Um, virtual activities are very different than in-person activities. How we structure them, how we do them, how we lead them can be very, very important. Um, so being able to look critically at those learning objectives and come up with good activities that we can, can be done virtually. 
think that's going to be paramount. Yeah, no, I, I, I can echo everything you said. Yeah. The, uh, you, you're not only instructing, you're instructing and you're producing and you're doing uh, a million other things that in the classroom, you don't have to think about, right? Yep. In the classroom, you set up the day before everything's in place. You've got, uh, you know, things are squared away two inches from the edge of the table or uh, whatever you want to do in, in this environment, you don't have it. You, you have a sequence of events that has to happen at a particular time. And like you said, if something does not work and you don't have a backup plan for it, you're scrambling. And yep. I, when we first started, I remember uh, it, it was, it was awful. It was one of the, one of the hardest weeks I've had as a, as a, uh, as an instructor was when I developed the asset management 101 course and I was presenting it or we were doing a rehearsal and I had all those technical issues and I had like 20 people on it to evaluate me. And it was, it was embarrassing. It was difficult and it was hard, but coming out of it, I learned a lot of those lessons the hard way. Um, so yeah, when, when you're looking again, when you're looking for a provider or someone, you a training partner, um, ask about how much experience they have and what they can do. Yep. Maybe even throw a scenario at them. Like James just said, what are you going to do if their power goes out? See what they have to say. That'd be great. Absolutely. Well, it is definitely an interesting time. Bill, I'm sure we could talk about this for the rest of the day if we really wanted to, but I don't know if everyone wants to hear us for the rest of the day. So that being said, what do you got going on? All right. Uh, Good question. So uh, lots of training, as always, continuing this stuff. Um, In my personal life, uh, continuing on with the uh, master's program and getting better with that. Um, looking forward to going to conferences and stuff once those get back, because that is something you will never be able to replace virtually. I will have to say that. I think you would agree. Getting, getting back and seeing everybody in person and hanging out again, uh, that's something I'm looking forward to. But as always, writing papers, um, articles, and, and those sorts of things. Uh, if people want to uh, learn more about it or get in contact with me, LinkedIn is always a great way uh, to get in touch. So look me up on LinkedIn and I'll be happy to chat or talk about anything with anybody. All right. Well, excellent, Bill. Thank you. I'm definitely looking forward to those in-person conferences once they come back. Yeah. Um, you know, something about being able to see people and shake their hand and chat as opposed to just doing it virtually. Um, so looking forward to that as well. Yeah. Those are, uh, yeah, those are, those are always good times to, for us to let our hair down around yep. each other too with all the other distractions <laughs> that i do miss very very much but the rest of it uh yeah nothing there's nothing to be afraid of with online training i think it's a great it's a great tool um and it's it's making us all as instructors um better yep. in the end but yeah like james said do your research before you commit to anybody or anything um there are there are as always there's the good the bad and the ugly out there um and if you need help finding which which is which, um, I'm more than happy to guide people along. Perfect. All right. Thank well, you very Bill. much, James. It's always, it's always fun chatting with you. Always. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. 
I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.